indeed one of the reasons we come together for worship, isn't it, is to ask that the Lord would take away more of the dimness of our own minds, to, to give us an openness of mind and heart uh, to learn his truth more deeply. And we are indeed dependent on the Holy Spirit to do that. And we believe that he does that uh, through his word. And so we're looking in the next few moments at the uh, brief book of 1 John. So I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. 1 John reads, uh, doesn't it, very much like the personal message from an older family member, a parent or a grandparent, uh, to the younger members children or grandchildren. Uh, There's a, in fact, we hear uh, repeatedly, don't we, the terms children, uh, not only in our text in verse 18 and then again in in verse 28, but we've seen it earlier in the book. Uh, We see it back in uh, verse 14, I write to you young men. Verse 13, I write to you children. Verse 12, I write to you little children. Uh, this, uh, this personal tone I want you to, to keep in mind as you consider, uh, consider this message, uh, to hear it as, as, as an older family member speaking to you. Uh, notice the frequent use, in fact, of the word you, and usually in the text, although it's not apparent in English, it's the you plural. So it's you as a family, and and notice, of course, the the use of the first pronoun, I, as well. So this is a very personal conversation, but at the same time, it sounds very much like a sermon. Or perhaps we could think of uh, like devotional thoughts uh, that a pastor is writing to a beloved church, uh, to a congregation that he he cares deeply about, and uh, as as he writes, we know that he's inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to write these words, to communicate them, not only to his original hearers, but to us and divine providence. And that the Holy Spirit in us as God's people then enables us to understand. Uh, so as you uh, in the pew there are listening, you're praying for the Holy Spirit to understand God's word as he has spoken to it here, uh, to us here uh, in this passage. And, uh, and indeed, we can be confident that he does that. He does that. Uh, so let's look at our text then, and here it is God's word to us this day, verses 18 through the end of the, ch- of, uh, yes, the, end of the chapter uh, in 1 John chapter 2. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? 
This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We began looking at this passage already uh, a couple of Sundays ago and and, uh, looked at some of the uh, important themes in it, so I won't revisit those this morning, but I do want us to, to look at some key terms that show up in the text that we haven't looked at in detail uh, that's a, a helpful way to, to study Scripture on your own, to read Scripture on your own, by the way, uh, to, to find a unit of, of, of Scripture that goes together, a passage that coheres as, as one unit, and then read through that a few times and look for key words uh, that are repeated, key concepts or ideas that are repeated, and that often will help you to, to get at the, the main message of a text. And so I'd like us to do that uh, with this passage again today. And in particular, I was caught as I, as I read through this uh, passage repeatedly by, by the idea of remaining, of continuing. There, there's a particular Greek word here that's repeated that in some of our translations is is translated by different terms. For instance, I think the King James uh, uses the word continuing there in verse 19, but that's the same word as the word they translate abide later on. I think the New American Standard and the NIV use the same word continuing or remaining in one of those uh, in each of those uh, translations, all the way through the passage. So you sort of catch the repetition a little bit better. But, but even if your translation isn't using exactly the same, same terms, whenever you're seeing continuing or remain or abide in this passage, that, that's, that's the same word. And, and so I want you to think about that a little bit and what John is, is impressing upon us here. He's saying, isn't he, there are, there are those who did not continue, those who did not remain, those who did not stay with you, those who did not abide with you. This is an issue for, for every church, for all people, right? How do you think about those people that seem to profess a faith and they've disappeared now. They're nowhere to be found in a church. I'm sure there, there are people that you think about in the same way. You know, maybe it's somebody that you were really impressed with. And 
I think I've mentioned before, my, my college pastor who seemed to have a very dynamic faith and some of us young people were really encouraged by him. In fact, he was the first person to ask me to, to give a sermon uh, and, and he left the faith, you know, left the church, left his wife, left his family. And, and what do you say about those instances? John says, there are those who have left the faith. Look at it, verse 19. They went out from us. They went out from us. And in fact, in fact, notice these who seem to have been professing Christians are the ones that he calls Antichrist. He doesn't just say they're neutral. You're Antichrist, right? Look back at verse 4, 18. Many Antichrists have come. We talked about the, the significance of that. The meaning of that term is primarily meaning to deny that Jesus came as the anointed one, as the Christ in human form, God in the flesh, to redeem a people for himself. And there are those who have denied that essential teaching of the faith. They've left. They went out from us. They went out from us. Well, why did they go out? Well, John tells us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have remained with us. There's that, that key word. Those who, who profess faith do not always possess faith. Okay, it's one thing to profess faith with your words. By your attendance at worship or by your giving, or whatever it may be. But it's another thing to truly possess that faith in your mind and heart. That's what John is saying here. So don't be shaken in your faith when you see others who profess to faith and have gone away. Because John says it's not that they lost faith, okay? It's not that Jesus saved them and then somehow they got lost again. No, that's not what's happened, John says. They never were of us. They looked like they were part of the family, but they weren't. They looked to external view, like members of the Church of Christ, but they were not. To profess faith is not to possess faith. So that leads us then... And this leads to the more positive use of this same term all the way the rest through the rest of the passage here. Leads us to, to note that John is saying those who, those who possess faith are those who persevere, those who remain. That's why he's emphasizing that over and over again, isn't it, here in this passage? Uh, look down, for instance, at uh, verse 24. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, remains in you, continues in you, that's, that's our word there, 
then you too will abide or continue remain in the Son and in the Father. Look at verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, continues in you. He even ends uh, verse 28 then. Abide in him, continue in him, and repeats it again in the next verse. Little children, abide in him, continue in him. The proof of possessing faith is to continue in faith. As has often been said, the Christian life is not a hundred yard dash, it's a lifelong marathon. It's a marathon. And the reward goes to the one who finishes. Who finishes. Continue. John is urging us. Continue in the faith. Know that those who possess faith continue in the faith. There's a promise hidden in this as well, isn't there? Because when God awakens in you a faith in him, he will preserve you in that faith. He will be the source of your power to continue, of your power to, of your power to persevere. And so let's look a little bit more specifically at what John says about how that happens. Those who persevere are those who continue in the truth. That's another key term in this passage, isn't it? Continue in the truth. You know the truth. He uses that word truth and the word knowledge repeatedly in this passage. Down to verse 20. You have all knowledge. Verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. What John is saying here is it's not that you have to have some additional truth in order to truly be a Christian in order to persevere. See, that's what these false teachers are doing. They're saying, you need something in addition to what you've got. Uh, we're at a higher level of spiritual life than you. And so we need to give you additional truth so that you really are in with the in group. Notice how often Heresies or cults give lip service to the Word of God, but they add something to it. Okay, that they'll they'll say they believe the Bible, but, but there's this second volume of the Bible that this guy found in some golden tablets in New York State. Dead, or, or you need the writings of this lady from down in Boston who has this particular insight, and so you can't really understand the scripture unless you read her stuff first. The cults often add something to scripture, and they'll often say, You can't really find this on your own. You have to have us, we have to enlighten you, bring you to the next level. Of knowledge. The early church had to deal with this and was possibly beginning even in John's day, but certainly in years after that, they had to deal with this in the form of Gnosticism. And if you want to know what Gnosticism is, just think New Age in our time. New Age is Gnosticism. It's this idea where you can get to this higher level and 
and, and yeah, Jesus or the Bible, you know, they show some truth that you need something in addition. John's saying, no, you don't. If you've received the gospel, you have the truth. You've got it. Now, that, that doesn't mean you don't try to learn more about it. You know, he, he's going to say later on in the, in the passage, you don't have a need for anybody to teach you. Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to abolish teaching. I mean, he's giving us a book of teaching. But what he's saying is, you, you don't need somebody who's going to teach you something different from the truth that you've received in the scripture already. I mean, you'll, you'll spend your lifetime learning this truth more and more deeply, but the truth won't change. Okay? You, you won't discover that, that the truth somehow is different than what the gospel first presented to it. So, so those who persevere are those who continue in the truth. Continue in the truth. Remember that. Okay, remember that. That's why you need to be in the Word as much as possible. You need to read it. You need to listen to it. You need to think about it. You need to write about it. Okay? Write down your thoughts about it. Continue in the truth. There's nothing more valuable to you than the truth of the Word of God. Continue in that truth. Well, Added to that, added to that is, well, how that, we came to that truth, in effect, right? Look at that in our text. Here's, here's the other key word that I wanted us to look, on, look at here, the idea of anointing. Do you remember from our study in Leviticus and other passages that anointing is to, to apply oil? Yeah, usually it's oil in the covenant. And it was a sign of being set aside, set apart for the service of God. You remember that the utensils of the tabernacle were anointed, and more significantly, the priests were anointed. Okay, and that symbolized the fact that they had been set apart for worship and service of God. Well, you have been set apart, John says. Look at verse 20. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. See the connection he's making there? See the connection he's making there? It is the Holy Spirit who has enabled you to recognize and respond to the truth. If you're a believer, it is the Holy Spirit who has brought you to that faith. Remember Jesus teaching in Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus is like the wind. You don't see it. You don't know where it comes from. But it has its effect. You can see the effect of it. He says it's like that for those who are born again. The Holy Spirit does a work of grace in your heart. And you recognize the truth. Your eyes are open. And you respond to that truth. And and in many cases, you, you don't even know exactly how you move the truth. But somehow the message of the gospel came into your mind and sank down into your heart 
and grabbed your will. And you said, this is true. This is what I need to believe. This is where I need to place my faith. That's what John's talking about here. You have that anointing. And so, verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning, what, let what that anointing, that work of the Holy Spirit awakened you to, let that abide in you, let that remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. You get that? It's through the Word that you are connected with Christ and the Trinity. It's through His Word. We are a people of the book. God's people are. We're people of the Word. It's through that Word taking root in your hearts that you're connected to God Himself by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, because you have that connection, as you continue in the Son and the Father, he says, verse 25, this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. There's all the difference. This is the difference in life and death. The difference in life and death. He wants us to remember this because as he says in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You're surrounded by forces in this culture that seek to draw you away from this word. They're seeking, seeking to undermine your faith. Seeking to have you be one of those who fall away. John doesn't want that to happen. Look at verse 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, continues in you. How do you know you're going to persevere? How do you know you're not going to be one of those that drops away? Well, you don't rely on your own strength. Okay? It's not a matter of self-help. This isn't a matter of earning your own salvation. Okay? The anointing that you receive from him continues in you. Do you see the implication there? Okay, the Lord has begun a work in your heart through faith. And it is he who you count on to keep that going. You just keep looking to him. Okay, don't look at yourself. Okay, you're going to be terribly inconsistent in living out your faith. Okay? Don't place your hope in some pastor or some leader. Okay? Because they may well fail right before your eyes. But keep looking to Christ. And how do you look at Christ? Through his word. Right? That's what he's saying here. Continue in what is continuing in you, as his anointing teaches you about everything that is about everything that you need for your Christian life and is true, abide in him. There's sort of a play in words here, isn't there? The Holy Spirit continues his work in you, and you continue to live in him. 
It's not an either or. It's a both and. His continuing work in you enables you to continue. Enables you to endure, maybe to endure some things that that you're not sure that you can endure. Okay, there, there have probably been there those times in your life when you've been tempted to say, or perhaps you've said, Lord, I can't deal with this. This is beyond me. I don't see how I'm to deal with this. Well, those are the times that it's most important for us to look to him, right? And to his continuing work in us to look to our faith. So John closes this section. Now little children abide in him, continue in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink in shame at his coming. You see the other, the other encouragement he's giving us here? He's saying look to the end. Okay? Look to the finish line. You know, runners are taught to look at the finish line. Don't look at the people around you. Don't look off to the side. Keep your eyes on the prize. Look to the finish line. That's sort of what John is saying here. Anticipate coming into his presence. Anticipate coming into his presence. Continue in him. Remain in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That we can welcome the coming of Jesus Christ. That we can look forward to it. That we can anticipate it as a wonderful thing. So, hold on to the truth of the gospel. Remain in the truth. Keep that truth in you. Don't be deceived. You know one of the best ways, by the way, to continue in the truth is to tell somebody else about it or to teach somebody else. So you want your faith to be strengthened? You want your understanding to be strengthened? Tell someone else about it. Teach someone else. Seek to grow daily in obedience. He says here in the last, uh, last section here, he's talking about abiding in him and practicing righteousness. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. He's going to talk more about that in, in the next section. But, but growing daily in obedience is another very good way to continue in the faith. If you're growing in obedience, you will persevere. And, of course, one of the best ways to grow in obedience is to live in a way that encourages obedience in others. Okay, to, to think about the effect of your example on others, to, to look for ways to encourage them in their obedience. That's going to help you in your own growth. And in the end, to rely not upon your hold on God, but upon his hold on you. That's where your confidence is. And one of the best ways to rely on God's hold on you is to hold on to other believers. And to hold them up in prayer. Okay, to remember your connection with the body of Christ. To seek to be an encouragement to others. And God will be working through you uh, to build up and encourage them. And in all things, then, in all things, to, to come to him in faith and to rely upon him. Uh, we're going to, in just a few minutes, observe the, the Lord's Supper together.
And this is an opportunity for us both to look back to that time when he awakened faith in us, that time when the truth first first came to our minds and sank down into our hearts and our wills, and also to look forward, to look forward to the consummation of all things, to, to, to keep our eyes on the prize, to be encouraged to continue on in the faith. Uh, th th there is nothing mystical about these elements that we eat. This is bread and drink, okay? It, it, it's not magically going to somehow change you by its physical content. That's not what's happening here in communion. Just as in baptism, it's not a magic quality in the water that somehow changes a person. No, what's central is, is faith, is the spiritual work that God is doing in you. And, and so, although these physical elements don't somehow change you, there is a real spiritual presence of Christ here. And there is real spiritual nourishment for your souls here, if you will receive it by faith. And so, even in this meal, we're testifying that we believe it is the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to persevere, that enables us to continue, that will hold us to the end when we stand in his presence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you come not to the strong, not to the brilliant, not to the exceptionally gifted, or you come to those who are weak, to those who don't know it all, to those who are humble. We thank you, Lord, that, that you come to people like us, and that your Holy Spirit awakens in us a faith in you. We pray, Lord, that you would Enable us to live out that faith. We confess that, that we don't as much as we should. Uh, strengthen us, Lord, even in this, this time of communion together. We pray that you would strengthen us to be, to be your obedient people, to persevere, to continue in the faith, regardless of the trials and difficulties that we may be facing. And even in the midst of those, to find the, the joy of your presence, to know the contentment of being in your will in every circumstance. Uh, do that for us, Lord, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.